From WDEV in Waterbury, welcome to Vermont Viewpoints. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thanks for joining us. It's Friday, November 3rd, almost one month since the Hamas attack on Israel and the Israeli bombing counterattack. One week since the election, uh, after many tries of a Speaker of the House of Representatives in Washington, and just 36 hours or so after a fire devastated the R.K. Miles storage buildings in downtown Montpelier. Today on the program, the role of local journalism in our democracy. The Montpelier Bridge newspaper is celebrating its 30th anniversary of covering the city. We will talk with the paper's editor, Cassandra Hemingway, and a founding board member, Phil Dodd, about its future and about their gala celebration on November 17th and the role of local journalism in a community and a democracy. At 10 a.m., we have our weekly visit with Vermont political expert Bob Nay, followed by an interview with Seven Days reporter Colin Flanders on a spate of commercial, empty commercial buildings in Burlington and what the city wants or needs to do about it. And we'll stay in Burlington at 10 30 as we had to speak with Karen Paul, the president of the Burlington City Council, who this week announced she is running for mayor of the Queen City. We will talk to her about all the issues and ask her why she is best to lead Burlington. There are now at least three candidates. As always, we welcome your calls and comments. The number to call is 244-1777. You can email me at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. That's all coming up today on Vermont Viewpoint. But first, uh, a a fire uh, destroyed the storage buildings at R.K. Miles, uh, which is the former Allen Lumber, uh, right next to the Hunger Mountain Co-op on Stonecutter's Way. Uh, No cause uh, for that fire as of yet. No one was hurt. Uh, The uh, Hunger Mountain Co-op next door closed. Uh, and might still be closed, might be opening today. Um, And I'm involved with with Downstreet Housing and Community Development and our uh, apartments that we uh, built and uh, gave over to the condo association just across the railroad tracks there. Uh, Some of the the, the siding melted on the side, so we'll be fixing that. But but, uh, luckily, uh, no one hurt. Boy, what a what a tough blow for Montpelier. Uh, the Mad Taco uh, bar had a had a, had its own fire, which kind of bled over into the famous Charlie O's, um, and uh, right on top of the flood, Montpelier can't seem to catch a break. But uh, we'll we'll get we'll do a show on this, and uh, we we need to we need to do a show. I'll I'll get the mayor and the city council uh, and. Uh, Bill Fraser, the city manager on the show. We've got to figure out what's going on here. And, and I guarantee you, one of the things that's going on is going to be uh, old buildings, uh, old housing stock, uh, old stuff. You know, Montpelier, like many, many communities across the country, suffers from outdated infrastructure. Uh, and we've been taping it together uh, with. Uh, to use a bad analogy, with uh, bailing twine for a long time, witnessed the constant digging up of the streets and replacing uh, pipes in the water system. Uh, That's not a criticism. That's just the fact. And 
you know, our government officials sort of have to deal with this. And it's just a tough, tough uh, challenge, uh, and both financially, uh, uh, infrastructure-wise. Uh, you've got citizens demanding a, a, a modern city, and you've got infrastructure beneath the streets that's, I don't know, out of the, out of the early 20th century. So we'll talk about that in the future. Uh, I noticed Sam Bankman-Fried has been the the disgraced financier, has been uh, convicted on all counts. Uh, I've been listening to a podcast about that, and I uh, I have not yet read Michael Lewis's book about Bankman-Fried, but I'm listening to a podcast about it, and I I have a lot of thoughts about this. So we'll try to do a show on that in the future. Uh, I kind of wonder... Bankman-Fried faces, oh, I don't know, 30 to 50 years in jail. I got to wonder whether whether putting a guy like Bankman-Fried in prison uh, is, is good for society. It, wouldn't it be better? And I'd like to raise this point. Um, and before everybody uh, uh, howls about it, uh, I would say the same about, oh, I don't know, 80% of other people convicted of crimes. Isn't he better? Isn't he a better use uh, to society on the outside, using his brilliant brain to generate uh, wealth uh, under the condition that it be given away to those who need it? Uh, th- that seems to be a useful uh, purpose for a guy like Bankman Freed, as opposed to sitting in prison and rotting, rotting away with no internet. The guy is an internet genius. Let's put him to work making society better rather than putting him in prison and where we have to pay uh, to house him and feed him. Not to mention the breaking of his family and the breaking of him as a human being. Let's, let's rehabilitate this guy along with uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of other people uh, in prison today for smaller, much smaller offenses. And lastly, before the break, Bobby Knight is dead. Bobby Knight was the brilliant but flawed, incredibly flawed uh, college basketball coach, one of the winningest uh, basketball coaches in college basketball history. He uh, played on the uh, legendary Ohio State teams. Those of you of a certain generation will remember those Ohio State teams of Jerry Lucas, Larry Siegfried, and others. Uh, Bobby Knight sat the bench on those teams, went to two final, uh, uh, two championship games, and lost both to the famous Oscar Robertson and his Cincinnati Bearcats. Knight became uh, the head basketball coach at 24 of the United States Military Academy, and then went on to Indiana, where he and his teams won three national championships, including a 32-0 and undefeated season, the last team to do that. He took the United States uh, uh, to the 1976 Olympics, where they won the gold medal, which, of course, uh, redeemed the United States after losing to the Soviet Union in 1972 in that much, much controversial uh, cheating uh, a game in which the Soviets uh, beat us at the buzzer. Knight was also a uh, misogynist, uh, often saying terrible things that I don't need to get into here, but enough to say that 
he, in my view, and you, and for those interested in Bob Knight, uh, I recommend a column by John Feinstein in the Washington Post from yesterday. He was, uh, Feinstein wrote probably the best basketball book ever called A Season on the Brink, in which he spent a year, uh, an entire season with Knight and the Indiana Hoosiers, and uh, it all came out in the book, uh, what, what a, what a great and loyal friend Knight could be, and what a terrible, terrible friend uh, he could be. Actually, worse to his friends than his enemies. Uh, he was fired by president of the university, Miles Brandt, for uh, his behavior. Uh, he vowed never to come back to Indiana. He actually did once after he was suffering from dementia. And uh, it, Bobby Knight was, I saw him once at a a, uh, giving a basketball clinic on how to play team defense. And for those of you basketball coaches, especially high school coaches in the audience, nobody captivated uh, a group of high school basketball coaches as a clinic more than Bob Knight. And the guy could coach. But in the end, the world passed him by. And he just he just couldn't live in a modern world. Uh, and it, it just, uh, it was a tragedy to see that he could not adapt his ways. And uh, in the early 80s, the, the, the basketball world began to pass him by. People didn't want to play for him. Uh, he was just, uh, you know, he was a relic from another era when, who, who coached through fear and intimidation. And truth is, that doesn't work anymore. With that, we're going to take our first break. And we're going to be back with Cassandra Hemingway uh, and Phil Dodd from the Montpelier Bridge. And we're going to talk about the role of a local newspaper in, the, in a democracy and in covering a small community like Montpelier. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint. And we'll be right back on WDEV. We are back. What is the role of the local newspaper in a democracy? That's a big thought. What's the role of a newspaper in the life of a small city like Montpelier? The internet, looking at you, Google and Facebook, has led to the destruction of the business model around journalism as it was, the salad days of newspapers making huge profits off advertising of car dealers and local businesses is gone. Those advertisers went to the web and purchased much cheaper ads on Facebook and Google. And the market power of the online giants to black out whole communities by not running local stories or charging big fees for those stories meant the decimation of the Baltimore Sun, the L.A. Times, not to mention the Burlington Free Press and the Rutland Herald and Times Argus. And that leads to the question, who would tell us about the community, about local sports, the city council and the mayor's office, flooding, fires, and if government from big to small cities and towns was left to its own devices. Inevitably, more secrecy would follow, more bad elections, uh, p less public involvement, and a slow erosion of the, dem of the democracy and the ties that bind us together. Who would step in? Well, something happened on the way to the journalism graveyard. Intrepid Vermonters started the Vermont Journalism Trust, which led to the founding of VT Digger, WDEV continues to emphasize local news by supporting this show and staying live up to the minute on reports around all, all things Vermont. And then there is the Montpelier Bridge, 30 years old now, small but mighty, 
covering the city of Montpelier, the good and the bad, the slow and the fast, the big and the small, and they've been doing it for 30 years, incredibly. The bridge is celebrating this month its 30th anniversary with a gala at the Vermont College of Fine Arts on November 17th, and you are all invited. And we have with us the editor of the paper and a board member who is there at the creation, Cassandra Hemingway and Phil Dodd. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Hi, Kevin. Thank you. So, uh, first of all, congratulations. Um, and why don't we start with the gala? Uh, Cassandra, maybe you could give us the, the, the gory details. Sure, absolutely. So this event is a combination of a fundraiser and celebrating 30 years. Um, and I'm, Phil will talk about some of, the, some of those years in a, in a bit, but it's pretty incredible that we're here and um, still going strong. We've got the, the focus of the, of the night is preserving democracy through journalism, which is exactly what you were just talking about. We've got um, Rumble Strip podcaster and VPR reporter Erica Heilman and Sky Barks, the CEO of Vermont Digger, are going to be joining us along with you, Kevin, who will be moderating the discussion with basically a conversation about what is the role of community journalism and how does it actually preserve democracy? What does that mean? Okay, I'm, I'm glad you included the best part, which is, uh, full disclosure, I will be moderating the <laughs> panel discussion <laughs> with, mm -hmm. with, with, yep. with our celebrity, celebrity journalists, uh, Sky Barth, the CEO of BT Digger and Erica Heilman of Rumble Strip Vermont. So I can't wait for that. Um, and what, uh, Cassandra, what else are we going to be doing that evening? Well, uh, we have a silent auction with, a, a, I think we're up to 35 works of art donated by some, um, by Vermont artists, several of whom are fairly well known in the area. Um, there's going to be a cash bar, music, food, there's, Local chefs from all over the area have donated their time to make food for the event. Um, and, of course, you'll get to schmooze with uh, the bridge editor and our board members and uh, a, a whole slew of people who created the bridge back in the day will all be there. And um, it should be a party. And we have a, you know, we have our, our, you know, main dish with the conversation, but we're looking forward to having a lot of fun, too. Up at the College of Fine Arts, and you still, and and you still have tickets available. Is that right? We do. Yeah, they're available through seven days, or you could find them on our website, um, pillarbridge.org. Uh, we have a tab up at the top of the uh, website that says 30th anniversary. If you click in there, you'll see more details about the event, and you can link right to the tickets there too. And Phil Dodd, I, I know I want to get into war stories with you about what life was like at the beginning, but uh, there's going to be a ton of art at this uh, event on November 17th, and I wonder if you could talk more about that. Sure. No, it's a, a remarkable generosity from these artists, and there's some remarkable artists there. Uh, we have a couple of pieces from the late uh, Ray Brown. Uh, Susan Bull Riley has donated a watercolor and an oil, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a silent auction. There'll be a minimum bid, uh, but people can, you know, look these works over and, and 
put in an amount that they'd be willing to pay. Um, we'll take checks, uh, credit cards, cash, no Venmo. Um, but if if you have the time, I could read you this list of, of artists, which is uh, quite quite incredible. Go ahead. I ha- I yeah, have so, I have two Ray Browns in my kitchen, by the way. Ah, uh, very good. Um, so we have Marriott Bajan, Heidi Bronner, Ray Brown, gifted by Jody Brown, Dee Dee Brush, Kate Burnham, August Burns, Aurora Brush, Ann Davis, Monica Di Giovanni, Elisa Dworsky, Sabrina Fadial, Dominique Gustin, Shannon Hepburn, Rob Hitzig, Bernadette Hood, Tom Latham, Don Marsh, Carol Nocken, Susan Bull Riley, Lachlan Smith, John Snell, Liz Snell, and Axel Stolberg. So it's really um, a, a great representation of the excellent artists we have in this area. And I, I, I do want to give hats off to Mary Admasian, who's been helping plan this and has set up this portion of the event uh, largely by her, on her own by herself. Um, and, of course, uh, I'll be moderating this panel. And I just wanted to say one word about that. We're really going to talk seriously about the future of journalism and the role that journalism plays in a healthy democracy. And and that, that can sound highfalutin when we talk about Washington, D.C. and all that. But what we're really talking about is how do you cover the city council? Uh, how do you cover the school board? Um, uh, you know, it's not you know, Watergate investigations every day. It's just the day in and day out coverage of a community that keeps us together. And Cassandra, I can't think of a better example than the fire at RK Miles, uh, where, you know, it it gets covered in a, in a kind of a superficial way. There was a fire, there was this and that, but, but nobody's going to be able to dig into that. Uh, the way the bridge can. Can you talk about the fire and how you're approaching it at the moment? Yeah, I mean, at the moment we have we have you know been on the ground. It was in our backyard, so we were there. We arrived right around the same time the fire trucks arrived. Thought you know through the whole process of one building jumping to four, um, but we also understand the context here. RK Miles flooded. In the in the uh, you know the flooding in July, they flooded in Montpelier, but they were back online pretty quickly. But they also were hit pretty hard in Barrie. Um, and uh, we actually, I did talk to the manager at RK Miles yesterday, but basically just long enough for him to say, "I can't talk right now because he's so busy." But we'll be following up with a story. We want to know what this means, not only for that business, but this is a lumberyard. And our whole community is rebuilding from the flood right now. So this hits everybody. If if we're already short on lumber and, and rebuilding projects are taking a really long time, be, for in part because supplies are, um, you know, hard to find these days. And now, you know, this huge inventory just burned up. What does that mean for everybody in the community who still hasn't, haven't fully rebuilt from the flood and all the people in the community who haven't, um, completed projects, maybe unrelated to the flood, but they can't get anybody or any lumber at the moment because the priority is on flood rebuilding. So that lumberyard burning down has some pretty big repercussions for our community. Kevin, 
Boy, isn't, uh, that, isn't that the truth? Phil? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, Cassandra did a great job of getting down there and covering it, uh, getting it online very quickly. Uh, but I also want to mention John Lazenby, who's an excellent photographer, member of our board, and uh, who took some fantastic photos of the, the firefighters doing their work. Um, who, who, and by the way, they did a terrific job keeping nearby buildings from going up in flames, too. Well, I was mentioning uh, those of us involved over at Downstreet Housing. Uh, the siding melted off some of those uh, apartments of ours uh, yeah. across the railroad tracks. And I, uh, the Hunger Mountain Co-op had to close, but they were unscathed as far as I can tell. Is that is that still the case, Cassandra? Yeah. Uh, I Well, I haven't had a conversation with them since the fire, but I talked to um, the Montpelier Police Chief, Robert Gowans, and he said they weren't harmed. And it just happened that the wind was blowing in their favor, literally, that night. It was blowing the fire away from them. And the firefighters did an amazing job making sure that the um, the, the very old wooden structures right next door to the fire didn't burn down. So they focused their efforts on keeping those buildings wet and um, saved them, basically, um, and saved those that housing across the way by controlling the fire quickly. Um I wanted to say one more thing about John Lazenby, too, because he was on the ground the night of the fire and the next morning. And um, we do, when we run our stories, we also typically have a galley of John's photos. But um, he has so many that we've linked to his own website because he's got dozens of those photos um, posted. And it's just, that tells a story more than any words can, really. So just echoing what Phil said, and I hope people will check out the story online and look through those photos. Give us the give us how to find find you online. Um, Pillarbridge.org. If you just go to our homepage, there's two fire stories right at the top. The 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 first one that happened the night it happened, we got a story up there, and then yesterday, the um you know we have a follow up. Essentially, at this moment, uh, the investigators don't think it's suspicious, but they're also giving everybody a link to the arson tip line. So, so I guess they're, they're not done with their job yet. So, no, no cause as of yet. As of yet, but uh, there were just huge piles of rubble, and they've only been there one day um, so far. Well, two days counting today, um, and it usually takes a, a couple weeks. For, to to get the results of a fire investigation. So I, I think their initial investigation didn't show anything suspicious. They're asking people, the state police are asking people to send in any photos or videos they have. And there's a there's an email address on the story on our website at montpelierbridge.org. Phil Dodd, I wonder, I want to ask you, what were you thinking uh, all those years ago, why did you start this newspaper with a bunch of other intrepid friends? Well, uh, 1993 is a long time ago, but uh, my recollection is um, you know, there was a, a, a feeling that, that maybe there was a lot more to be said and written about what was happening in town than, than we were getting from local media. Um, the, the thing actually started when I proposed the idea in a little newsletter I was involved with with a, a group uh, it seems quaint now but we called ourselves Montpelier 2000 um, but if we had a newsletter in there I proposed does anybody think we you know ought to start a newsletter newspaper in Montpelier 
Matt Frothingham called me up. We had coffee. We decided to put up a poster and see if anybody else was interested. Ten or twelve people called up, and um, we took it from there. It was all volunteer. Um, people clearly saw a need. I remember Irene Race, who got involved in the bridge early and had been a journalist, told me that back in the day when she was at the Times Argus, uh, they were expected, she was expected as the Montpelier reporter to come up with four stories a day. And clearly the numbers of, <laughs> of stories, the number of reporters, you know, have been declining and it's and it's gotten even tougher uh, for some of these dailies. So we just saw a need. Uh, we knew there were a lot of talented writers in town. We knew we had an engaged populace who wanted to know what was going on. And uh, it's it's been a roller coaster. It's not easy to keep this thing going. The pandemic was very tough for us. The flood was another challenge. But we've had such great support from the community uh, through fundraising, which is now essential to run a, a local newspaper, um, that we've managed to keep it going for 30 years. And... Cassandra, how has the well to both of you, but let's start with Cassandra. How has the bridge evolved uh, in those thirty years, uh, pre-internet, post-internet? Uh, you know, you know, how has the bridge cha- changed since its founding? Uh, well, I say I could give you the broad brushstrokes. I think Phil could probably give you more detail. But it's gone from uh, several iterations from being, um, as Phil described, a a group of sort of uh, people who were all volunteering to um, it was owned, uh, published and edited by Nat Frothingham and Jake Brown. And then and then just Nat Nat Frothingham for quite a while until around six years ago when um, the bridge became a state nonprofit and uh, formed a board. Um, I think I might be skipping some huge pieces here, so I should probably have Phil fill in all the blanks. <laughs> I'm a little, I'm pretty new to this game. I've been there. Uh, gosh, we're going on three years, I think. That, um, but not as long as Phil. Yeah. Let's hear what he has to say. Well, no, I think you have. Well, what? How? Back. How is the? How's the bridge changed? Um. Well, it, you know the. General outline, uh, Cassandra just told us about is accurate. Um, you know, there was a key moment, I'd say, when when Nat, who had been running this as his own uh, business for a long time, um, was getting to the point he he, he might want to step back a bit, and that's when uh, we we came up with this idea of of starting a new nonprofit. And even though Nat had been approached by, you know private buyers over the years, he, he felt keeping it as a community newspaper with a lot of volunteer input was important, and that's that's what we, we set up. Um, we realized at that point he had been doing some fundraising, but at, we decided we really needed a separate 501c3 called the Friends of the Bridge. At that point, it was hard for papers to get 501c3 approval, so we did that. Uh, and that that's been successful. We've had a good board working on the Friends of the Bridge. Now, uh, through the hard work of, of staff, we have 51C3 approval for the bridge itself. So we're we're now merging the organizations uh, by the end of the year, and it'll be a little simpler for everybody. We hope. But uh, it's it has been an evolution. We did get the website going, and that of course is is crucial for for news today. 
Uh, over the years, we've, we've mailed the issue to everybody in the 05602 zip code, and we, we do that. Uh, we, we publish twice a month. We also are putting it out on newsstands everywhere. So it's, it's, uh, it's grown. It's, it's gotten more people uh, involved. Currently, we, we have a lot of great board members uh, who are helping out. And, uh, you know, I'm really pleased to see where we are at the end of 30 years. Uh, and again, November 17th, Vermont College of Fine Arts, 30th anniversary gala uh, of the bridge. Um, Cassandra, looking back on your time at the bridge, is there, you know, what's the best thing that you do? Why, why, why is the bridge important? That's a really good question. <laughs> I'm stalling because I don't know what the best thing I do is. I mean, so, you know, when you're, when you're in the throes and the thick of it, you don't know what you're doing is, you know, I, I, w- I guess I would say the most impactful thing that's happened since I've been on board is our coverage of the flood in central Vermont. Um, we, because we're local and we're on the ground, we were able to, not only write the stories of the businesses and the individuals who are impacted, but, you know, right in the beginning, we were just pumping out just even just plain old press releases from FEMA and from the city, keeping people updated. Um, I think those those days and weeks after the flood were when we I really felt the role of the our role in the community. People needed information and we had to get it to them right away. And, you know, it started out, we were just doing it on our social media just to get it out there. And then we were able to uh, pivot from publishing two print issues a month to just putting stories online, three or four stories online every day um, to keep things updated. So, um, yeah, I guess when when things, you know, when disaster happens, that's when you want somebody who already knows the community who's already on the ground um, who can really, you know, get information to people. And then after after people have the information they need, then tell their stories. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I will add to that. Uh, for me, sitting at my kitchen table uh, reading a recent issue, and there was a Phil Dodd authored piece about a kind of a, a global review of flood and, and the city's response. And it went on and on and on in, and in such a good way. I mean, it really kind of wrapped the whole thing up and with one big bow in one place that you could leave on your kitchen table and come back to over the week. Uh, and I, you know, you just can't get that anywhere else. No. And I, I mean, one of the unique things about the bridge is that, there is a cadre of very committed, very experienced journalists who contribute to the bridge, um, many of whom, like Phil, don't charge for their time and um, provide stories. Like, I'm not sure a little newspaper like the bridge could afford to pay <laughs> the kind of journalists who are writing for the bridge. So, I mean, that is one that is one thing we have in our favor and I'm, you know, I worry that that's not something that can last forever, although it has lasted for 30 years. Um, but, yeah, we're extremely lucky. Someone like Phil, who's been in the, you know, in the area this long, who's been a, he's a veteran journalist, 
John Lazenby, who's been a veteran journalist, a former editor of Vermont Life, John Dillon, um, you know, Greg Gerdell, the list goes on. Um, these folks contribute to this tiny little paper because they care about our community. One of the one of the pieces that I'm looking at coming in fairly late in the game for this um, for the bridge is how do we sustain that level? Um, and I think at some point we need to be looking at um, you know paying <laughs> paying journalists as well um, for the kind of coverage that you're talking about. Yeah. So let's talk before the break about the business model. Uh, you mentioned it. Um, it seems that nonprofit journalism over at the dig at Digger and at the Bridge now, it seems like that's the future. It seems like the the sort of for profit business model doesn't seem to work anymore. And we're going to take this on 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 our panel discussion. But uh, maybe you could talk about the business model, the evolving nonprofit business model. Sure. Now, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you know, ad revenue is, is a real challenge these days. Uh, advertisers are, are going to Google or other online uh, places. Uh, and it's also true, I think, that readers through the Internet have come to expect to get news free. So it's, it's hard for newspapers that charge uh, to get people to subscribe or, or buy something on the, on the newsstand. So it really takes, in our case, a combination of, of advertising. We do have good support for, for the business community. Uh, from the business community, but it also now becomes clear that we we've got to go for grants and we've got to go for fundraising. This this event on November 17th is a is a fundraiser. Uh, we need we need the support of the community, and they've been very responsive when we have a crisis like the flood and we lost a lot of advertisers uh, for a period of time. They've stepped up, and it's it's uh, but it's it seems to be necessary. I mean, I you know I look around the the state. Uh, VT Digger is is free, supported by fundraising. Uh, Vermont Public, uh, the same. Seven Days is privately owned, but they're they're fundraising, and uh, it seems to be a model that works. We're you know providing this news for free, um, but we're we're doing that with the support of advertisers and fundraisers, and now looking more to grants. There's a great article in the Atlantic right now about. Uh, an effort the MacArthur Foundation is leading to, to fund local papers. We're, we're losing local papers across the country very quickly, and um, we, we need these new models to, to keep people informed and engaged and, and voting and, and knowing what they're voting about. Yeah, no kidding. While we were gone, I must say I was on uh, Instagram, and there's a great post by the Montpelier Bridge talking about the latest news about the Montpelier fire. Uh, the origin of the fire is undetermined. According to a statement released this afternoon, no injuries reported. Tap the link in our bio to read the full story and see a photo gallery by John Lazenby. I mean, there it is right there. There's the value. Uh, up to the minute news about our local community. And the question is, how are we going to fund it? Well, one of the ways you're going to fund it is this gala celebrating your 30th anniversary on uh, Friday, November 17th. Uh, but Phil Dodd, where can people go to support the bridge? I mean, the, the, one of the re one of the things Digger has done successfully is they've they've got this membership program, and it, you know it's kind of modeled on the Vermont Public program. I assume you're trying to build a similar stable of of 
funders that just uh, renew year in and year out. Well, that's that's the goal. We 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 do have some loyal supporters. We've built up a database, and we uh, usually send out a letter the end end of every year seeking funds. Uh, and then there are also special events uh, like like this one that we put on over the years. Um, anybody who wants to donate can go to our webpage and um, uh, MontpelierBridge.org, and in the upper right-hand corner, there's a, a button a button for donating, and you can you know pay online or send in a check. We're all, always welcome uh, these these kind of contributions. Um, so yes, it's 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 an evolving effort. Um, that I think we all recognize it's a, it's an important one and a necessary one uh, to our to our mission. And I, I did want to say, in addition to you know covering uh, city government and, and the schools, we really feel we're trying to build community here. And and so we write about our neighbors, we write about businesses, we write about the arts and music, things that are happening in the community. And uh, I think I think people recognize the importance of that, and and therefore. Are willing to help us out um, every year, and um, hopefully, we'll continue to do so. Cassandra, uh, you know we have this uh, notion of journalists as you know hard-headed reporters covering the city council, but I want to go to you on what Phil just said about building community. It's pretty clear that post-flood. Uh, post, I'm sorry, post-COVID and, and post-flood, one of the, I mean, the Surgeon General has declared loneliness a, uh, an, a, a, an epidemic. The bridge can serve as a, as a way to bring people together via events like that, this on November 17th and, and other things, because clearly we need it. So apart from the, the tough journalism that you have to do, there's, there's a. There, can you talk about that community building aspect? Sure. Um, yes. You know, we are the newspaper in a. You know, it might be the capital city, but it's still a small town, and um, everybody knows everybody. <laughs> you know, um, so one of the things we do is we we I we strive to reflect the community back to itself. One of my favorite pages in the bridge is page two, um, community news. And sometimes it's just like a 100-word little blurb about, you know, a kid who went to, um, you know, won an award or, we ha- you know, the 4-H club went to Wisconsin or um, so-and-so was hired. It, it's not big, flashy news, but it's, you know, this is where, you know, people in the community shine a little bit. Um, you know, we like to profile folks in the community. Um, and the other piece is we invite people, you know, it's not all sunshine and roses. There are people who don't like what we do or have a beef with us. And we always invite those folks to send us a letter or, um, you know, write a commentary. So we get all voices heard in the paper. And I actually think that's also another way where we can build bring the community together is invite people in the community to, you know, tell us what you think, put your letter on them, you know, send us a letter, unless it's egregiously, um, you know, false, we'll run it, you know, and we commentaries are a little trickier. We don't run every single commentary that comes our way, but, you know, we're often willing to work with somebody to, if they have a, you know, if they want to write something longer, 
um, that's a little bit more reported, but is still an opinion piece. Um, so those are some of the ways. We also just have been, as much as we cover the community and we have to have a critical eye, um, at the same time we celebrate, you know, we've been right alongside everyone else in town celebrating every business that reopens. And not every business has reopened. So, you know, we have some work to do to, to reflect that story as well. Um, I might be blathering here. I feel like I could talk about this forever. And um, so I'd love to hear what Phil has to say or maybe some of your own comments. Well, I'll tell you my favorite. Well, I'd love the page two community news, but uh, I, I believe it's page three. And when Paul Carnahan has a picture of a building that was that existed uh, you know, a uh, hundred years, a uh, hundred years ago and what it looks like today or what's in its place. I find that history just fascinating. Yeah, that's great. And we're lucky to have Paul Carnahan too. He's a Vermont historian. And, you know, once a month he sends us that he picks what seemingly random building in town. It could even be someone's house. And, you know, we get to see what it looked like <laughs> before and now and get a little story behind it too. And then we also have heard on the street which is a column um, Carla Ocasso compiles that's just blurbs about, you know, little things happening in town. This past issue, um, she combed through um, a website that shows restaurant sales and found out there's like a dozen or so businesses and restaurants for sale in the area. And she highlighted a few of them in that column. So so Phil, in the minute we have, in in the minute we have left, uh, let's, just re-promote the November 17th uh, gala celebration of the 30th anniversary. There are tickets available. Is that right? Yes, they're they're online purchases. Uh, You can get to the page describing the event in in more detail and and a link to buy tickets by going to our main webpage at montpelierbridge.org. The upper right-hand corner, there's a, a, a button that says 30th anniversary, and uh, click that, and you'll be in into the page that gives you all the information you need. Um, and you know, we will have food and drinks, a, ca- a chance to socialize, um, as well as as the arts auction and and the panel discussion, which we probably haven't heard enough about. I think that uh, Kevin, we're re- all really looking forward to to that discussion. There you go, Kevin Ellis headlining. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> but. Uh... Well, Cassandra Hemingway and, and the editor of The Bridge and uh, Phil Dodd, one of the founders, thank you. And we can't wait for November 17th. There are tickets available uh, where everyone is welcome, and we're going to have a lot of fun on that night. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you, thank you Kevin. Kevin. Much appreciated. Okay. Cassandra Hemingway and Phil Dodd. Uh, uh, boy, I'll tell you, they put in the work, and journalism is not easy. It doesn't matter what the story is. Sports, city council, school board, uh, it all it all adds up to what we need here in, in our community. So November 17th, get your tickets, and uh, I'll be there along, along with Sky Barsh of, of uh, Digger and uh, Erica Heilman, the podcaster. So we'll be right back. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.